0: Back a few pages, number 370, Day of Judgment, Day of Wonders. We'll sing all four verses of number 370. And number three eighty-three, O for a thousand tongues, this will be our last song of the song service. Sing all five verses of number three eighty-three. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands I sing for joy. Thus does the Lord call us, gather us together in worship. Let us... Heed his call first of all by seeking his blessing upon this time of worship. Let us ask the Lord first in silent prayer and then together for his blessing. Father, we thank you that you have gathered us once more in this place. You know the hearts, you know the circumstances of each one whom you gathered here. Provide precisely what we need that we might be refreshed in our worship and that you might receive all the glory of the worship that we bring. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. Beloved, our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Hear now his greeting. Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and from Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Let us sing praise together to him from number 311. We praise thee, O God. This Evening, using the words of the Apostles' Creed. You can find that on page 3 in the back of your Psalter hymnal if you uh, need the words in front of you. Congregation of our Lord, in whom do you believe?
1: I believe hey, in God, of the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born. Virgin Mary suffered under conscious heart. was crucified dead and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the death. He descended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, 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 Father Almighty. From this he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. the communion of Saints. Forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of God, and the life everlasting.
0: Our psalm reading this evening is Psalm 86, one of David's psalms, which itself is noteworthy in this part of the Psalter, Um, unlike the earlier parts of the Psalter, uh, psalms of David aren't the predominant psalms. However, here we have this beautiful psalm of David in which, in circumstances he doesn't describe, he calls out for the Lord's help. You'll notice that there's three sections to this psalm. First, a plea for God to hear him. To take heed to his prayer. And then after that, a confession of who God is. That he is the sovereign one. That he is the great one. That he is almighty. And then, finally, in the last four verses, he concretely pleads for deliverance. And this whole psalm, seeks that which Christ came to accomplish. Isn't that amazing? The first part prays for God's attention, for God to hear his prayer, and Jesus came to ensure that we could go to God on our own. We wouldn't need a different mediator. We wouldn't need to speak to holy men. We can go straight to God because Jesus has opened the path for us. And he's ensured that not only will our prayers be heard, But He'll be praying at our side. Jesus came and revealed the reality of God. That there is no disease that He can't heal. There is no situation He can't turn. There is no broken relationship He cannot restore. And He's the one who has overcome our every enemy. We don't yet see it. But the day will soon come when He will return. All our enemies will be brought before Him along with all of us. And those who have sought Him, those who have trusted in Him, Christ will raise up, usher them into the glory of God's presence. And those who have stood as His enemies and ours, these He will all bring to an end. Isn't that amazing? Jesus fulfilled every word of this prayer. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor. And needy. Preserve my life for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all the day. Gladden the soul of your servant. For to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving. Abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of my trouble I call upon you, for you answer me. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name, for you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever, for great is your steadfast love toward me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. O God, insolent men have risen up against me. A band of ruthless men seeks my life, and they do not set you before them. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. Show me a sign of your favor that those who hate me may see and be put to shame because you, O Lord, have helped me and comforted me. Let us take up the first portion of this psalm. We find it in selection 164. We're going to sing the first four stanzas. As we come before the Lord in prayer, just a couple of uh, prayer reminders. We noted a, a number of prayer concerns this morning, updates. Um, also, John Timmerman's grandson, Barrett, he had a kind of a rough week last week. Um, so please pray for continued healing for that little man. Um, we noted Classes Michigan is meeting Tuesday, and uh, that we should be in prayer for Chadash Koskin who is the recent seminary graduate who hopes to uh, minister in his uh, native home of Turkey. And also in our announcement bulletin, you'll see the request for prayers for Pastor Kern um, in Ontario, URC, and California. Um, And then more broadly in our land, um, we have noted in recent weeks the... um, Supreme Court case uh, regarding abortion. Uh, there's word that perhaps a decision could be rendered and released uh, as early as tomorrow. Uh, we need to pray that God would give them the courage to do what is right and godly. But also we need to recognize that that, well, regardless of the outcome that that could deepen the division and the divide in our land. That's not, a, that's not an issue of violence. There's potential for that to be sure, and that's terrible. But that's an issue of spiritual warfare. Um, abortion isn't just a matter about which we should virtue signal. It's it's a barometer issue that reveals where the heart of our people are. We're not willing to protect the most defenseless within our nation. That says something deeply ugly about where our priorities are. Right. So we need to pray for the soul of our nation and pray that God would work powerfully in the hearts of our people. So let's pray. Father, we pray with the psalmist that you would incline your ear and answer your servants. For like David, we are poor and needy. Unable to meet our own needs. Unable even fully to understand the depth and the breadth and the nuance of the need that afflicts us. You are good and holy and altogether righteous But we, your servants, are weak. Though you have claimed us as your own and have cleansed us in the blood of Christ, yet we find ourselves far too often returning to the sin that once enslaved us. And yet you love us. And you receive us and you forgive us anew. We stand in awe of your mercy. We stand in awe of the fact That we can come before you in prayer knowing without any doubt that you hear us. That you care. That you will heed our words. Father, we thank you. and We pray that you would deepen the faith of each one here. And that you would cause us to renew our desire and our intention. To live before you a life of faith and of love. Grateful that you would hear and heed the likes of us. Grateful that you would choose us, though there is nothing in us to commend ourselves to you. And Lord, we pray that you would renew our resolve to do all that we do. Our work, our recreation, our Interaction with those around us. Teach us to do all that we do with an eye toward glorifying your holy name and bringing others to know and serve and love you. Father, we see the needs that afflict your people. Needs for healing from physical ailments. Needs for strength in the face of spiritual warfare. Needs for comfort in the midst of their grieving. Needs for hope and confidence in the face of situations that we cannot fix. And in you we find the answer to all of it. You are the one who has brought such healing to Megan, to Jamie, and to Bruce, and to Linda, and to Dan, and to many others. You are the one who has brought forth the children who are in our midst and who are blessing and strengthening the children that are growing within the womb. You are the one who has given opportunities to foster children and to adopt others. You are the one who has brought little Barrett to this point. And it is from you that we seek continued healing for him. You are the one who brought the blouse to us when we welcomed them this morning. And you are the one who has given us the blessing of, of greeting other visitors in our midst. Father, we pray that you would continue to provide precisely what we need. And that in providing for us, you would prepare us to minister to those around us. To minister... To our neighbors, to our friends, to our children, to our parents, to our co-workers. To our neighbor who doesn't know you and also the neighbor who knows you and is is in need of encouragement. Father, we pray that you would provide for each one of us what we need. That we might testify to those around us to where our hope is. We pray for the preparations for Vacation Bible School. That you would... Allow that to be an opportunity for our children to grow in the faith, but also for our neighbors, for their children to learn who you are and what you are like and what you have done and how trustworthy you are. We pray, Father, for those who are preparing for marriage, those who have entered into important relationships. We pray that you would bless those relationships. And that you, in your good time, in your good way, would develop new families with Christ at their center. Such that the world, looking upon the marriages in our midst, might see the selfless love of Christ and the self-sacrificial love of the church for Christ. And might see children being raised up not with permissiveness nor with abuse, but with the tender shepherding that looks to you to make our parenting effective. Father, we pray for the work of your church throughout this region and throughout this nation and throughout this world. Father, we pray for the work in Ontario, California and for the labors of Brother Kern and, and soon of Brother Ventura. We pray that you would make that ministry to be effective in reaching out to the sizable Spanish-speaking neighborhood there. We pray that you would allow your gospel to go forth with power, transforming the hearts of many and drawing them near to you and, and making them to be disciples. And we pray that you would raise up many other works among natives to the land and newcomers here in our own nation and abroad that the gospel might go forth with power that your people might shine forth the light that you have given to us in Christ. And Lord, we pray that you would make us each one to recognize our missionary task. Seeking and praying for opportunities to speak to our neighbors about the hope that we've been given. Receiving from you the courage that we need to tell others what you have done and what you are like. And Lord, when we're tempted to stray in the ways of the world, remind us of the emptiness of that way of life, the emptiness of the sins which once held us captive. And draw us back into the light of your life, of your, your kingdom. Father, we pray for this nation. There is so much darkness in our society. So many live just for the thrill of the moment. Finding their identity in the pleasures of the flesh or in the work that occupies their hands or in the power that they seek to amass. But there is no hope in those things. We see the ugliness of that in this tragic, wicked sin of abortion that has taken over our our nation for the last nearly 40 years. More than 40 years. Father, we grieve that so many in our generation have been Killed before they ever had a chance to live beyond the womb. We grieve even more that the hearts of our nation have been so hardened. Father, we know that there is forgiveness for that sin and for all sins. But forgiveness that comes only through faith in Christ. Accompanied by repentance as its fruit. Father, we pray that you would bring about that faith in the hearts of many who are still in their misery, who are seeking any escape from the cry of their conscience. Make your people to be bold in denouncing sins such as this, but also bold in showing forth your love. And your mercy. Make us to be willing to walk that path of repentance. That path of life with those who would turn from that sin and all sins. Make us to be compassionate. Not looking down on those who would repent of their sin. But embracing them as those who are being brought into the kingdom. And who need the love of Christ just as we do. Father, we pray for our leaders in our nation. We think especially of our Supreme Court justices this day. Give them the courage to do what is right and righteous. Give them the courage to stand up for what is true and just. Protect them from the threats of the evil one. And Lord, in the aftermath of their decision, we pray that you would make it evident that the fight in our nation is not between religious and irreligious, not between different views that are equally compatible with the truth, but are in very fact between life and death, between light and darkness. That the people of this land might see starkly the choice before them to turn to Christ and receive eternal life or To continue living for the flesh. And embrace eternal darkness. And make your church. With compassion. But with passion. To proclaim that truth. And to urge them to turn to life. And now Father we pray that you would. Bless the word that is. Before us this evening. That through it we might learn of our calling. To seek your help. To seek your truth. To seek your blessing. And that we might be reassured, given confidence that all who seek your help will indeed find. Now we ask all of this, along with the forgiveness of our sins, in the name of Christ, our Savior and our King. Amen. Well, as we prepare to look to to God's word together, uh, let's sing the remainder of Psalm 86. Uh, We'll sing stanzas. 5, 6, and 7 of 164. Well, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 10. Daniel chapter 10. Now, as we've been looking through the book of Daniel, we saw that in the first half, we really saw a history of Daniel during his time in the Babylonian and then the Medo-Persian empires. We saw his interaction with the people around him, and and that of his friends, uh, living as powerful witnesses of the true King of Kings. And then in this second half, starting in chapter 7, we saw two of the visions given to Daniel himself, and their interpretations, and then um, how Daniel prayed, having discerned that the time was nearly at hand when God would restore his people to their land, he pleaded with God for forgiveness, for restoration, for uh, renewal among his people, that they might go back to the place where he had promised to bless them. And we saw last week uh, the answer that he received from the angel Gabriel. Well, now we're coming to the final vision, the final answer that God gives to Daniel. And that encompasses the final three chapters of this book. And we're not actually going to look this evening... At the vision that he receives. But rather at the way God prepares him to receive it. That's what we see in chapter 10. So we're going to focus on verses 8 through 19. We're going to read the whole chapter so that we can see that. Daniel writes, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel. It was named Belteshazzar. And the word was true, and it was a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like barrel. Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel. For from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision is for days yet to come. When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke. I said to him who stood by me, O my Lord, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me, and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me, and no breath is left in me. Again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man greatly loved, fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, Do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side except against these Except Michael, your prince. And then he begins to go into the explanation and to the vision that Daniel is to see. Amen. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, as I said before, we've spent several months now considering the book of Daniel, taking from it lessons. About how God's people are to live in the midst of kingdoms of men. Kingdoms of ungodly powers. As servants of the true God. We've beheld the messages God has sent through Daniel. About his his interaction with and his sovereignty over those kingdoms of men. And we saw how Daniel... In bringing those messages, in living that powerful life, Daniel and his friends stood up to the most powerful kings, the most powerful rulers of the world in terms of men. Risking their lives to reveal the glory and the power of God. Being willing even to sleep with fierce lions, rather than to give God's honor to mere men. This Daniel, let there be no doubt, this Daniel was a man of power and of courage. He was a godly man, a wise man, who cherished holiness and who delighted to glorify God. Never would we describe this man as weak. But then we come to this final segment in Daniel's book. This final vision that reveals what God is doing and how He is doing it and how He will prosper His people in the midst of an ungodly age. Confronted with that vision and its messenger, Daniel melts. The vision leaves him powerless. He shows himself to be utterly incapable of even receiving the word of the Lord. Now there is much in these final chapters of Daniel that we could study and consider. But as we prepare to conclude our consideration of Daniel's book, we're going to focus on the heart of what God would teach us here, and that involves two lessons. The second, at which we will look next time, Lord willing, is a glorious message, a message of triumph, a message of victory given to God's people, not accomplished by them. But the first, which we consider today, in its form at least, is not a message of glory and triumph. In fact, In light of the image we have of Daniel's bold faith, it's sort of a shocking message. Because it reminds us that even Daniel, for all of his boldness, for all of his wisdom, for all of his courage, even Daniel is merely a man. Is weak as a man. Before the face of God. And so as we look, at the message of Daniel 7, we see how a faithful Israelite requires Christ's touch even to receive divine insight. A faithful Israelite requires Christ's touch to receive divine insight. That's our theme. But as we begin exploring that theme, we need to be clear that in a big way, this vision was unlike any other that Daniel had encountered. At the start, Daniel received the task of interpreting other people's visions. Later, Daniel himself saw visions. First, the the dream vision of the four beasts. Then a dream vision of two beasts. Both of them concluding with Daniel being told the meaning of the vision. And then he heard from the angel Gabriel. Powerful message. Now, those were all amazing experiences. But this vision is different because of its messenger. Now there is some controversy over exactly who this messenger is. But I would suggest to you, both from the description that is given to him, or given of him, and the response of Daniel to this messenger, that he is utterly unique. Daniel's been fasting. He's been practicing self-denial. God had exiled his people. Daniel is showing his sorrow. He's, He's longing for the full restoration of God's people. And after three weeks of that fasting and praying and pleading with God on behalf of his people, Daniel looks up and sees a man clothed in linen. Now we really need to see in our mind's eye what he beholds here. He sees this man... Wearing linen. Linen is the same cloth that they made the the garments for the priests out of. It was fairly unique in that age in that it was typically bright white. Thereby being perfect for portraying holiness. That's why the priests used it. Around his waist was a belt of gold. Now, in Hebrew custom, the, the waist or the loins were considered to be the seat of a man's strength. So to gird, to wrap the, the waist, the loins with gold, was to indicate that his strength was perfect. His strength was unsurpassed and unassailable. His body is described as being like beryl. Beryl was a jewel of stunning appearance. He was a... A stone that appeared prismatic, really almost indescribable. And he says his face shone like lightning, his eyes blazed like torches, his arms and legs gleamed like polished bronze. The sight of this man must have been blinding in his brilliance. Daniel would have been struck by the glory and the power that just radiated from this being before him. It was stunning. That's not the only time we hear a a description almost exactly like this. In Revelation 1, the Apostle John says, I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash about his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. Do you hear the similarity between those two descriptions? It's almost like two men... Describing the same scene, isn't it? And that's on purpose. Because the one whom John described was none other than Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of Man. And it's the same one who appeared before Daniel, the pre-incarnate Messiah, Jesus Christ. In comparison with this, all that Daniel had witnessed previously was as nothing, was, was utterly commonplace. He had seen sights and dreamed dreams which God's own hand had shaped, but those were commonplace compared with this vision of Christ in all his glory. I lifted up my eyes and looked, he says, and there stands the the incarnate God in human form. Daniel was strong, Daniel was brave, Daniel was accustomed to standing in the presence of holiness, but never had he stood in the presence of one whose glory and power and majesty even began to compare with this one. The two, two of the sections of our text really focus on Daniel's human weakness in the presence of Christ. Look with me at verses 8 and 9. He says, no strength was left in me, my radiant appearance was fearfully changed and I retained no strength. I fell on my face in deep sleep. In other words, he fainted. Now drop down to verses 15 to 17. I turned my face to the ground and was mute. Pains have come upon me and I retained no strength. No strength remains in me and no breath is left in me. Daniel saw this stunning vision. The son of man who is God incarnate. He saw the splendor. Heard this voice that sounded like a multitude of voices. And he melted into weakness. In fact, Daniel's so weak that he can't even protest concerning his weakness until his visitor strengthens him. It was only then that he was raised up from his weakness. And that's the first point that we see here, is that Christ's touch raises up from human weakness. You see, in his weakness... Daniel stands as our mirror. Daniel is the consummate man of God. Kids, you understand that. Daniel is a man of God. He wasn't perfect. He was a sinner like the rest of us. But but he strove to live a life of holiness. We talked this morning when when we spoke about baptism, about how we're to respond to our baptism with a living faith, right? And that's what Daniel did. He sought to show his faith in the Lord who had claimed him as his own by the way that he spoke, by the way that he acted, by the way that he thought, by the things that he desired. When he stood before the the greatest king of all the earth in that age, he was bold before him because he realized he served a greater king. He was able to stand before kings and princes and tell them what they needed to hear. Not what they wanted to hear. Often the opposite of what they wanted to hear. Because he realized that the God he serves is infinitely greater. He was known for his, his holiness. His godliness. His character is what we should strive for. And yet in the presence of God, he was weak as a baby. Unable even to stand. Unable to form words with which to speak. Now if Daniel is unable to stand in the presence of the Lord on his own strength, how can we? We can't. And we need to recognize that. I think especially in our youth, we take for granted the privilege that is ours. The privilege to enter into God's presence and worship. The privilege to dwell in the presence of the living God. The privilege to take up His Word and to study it. And to be discipled by His saints. But of ourselves, we're not worthy of any of that. And in fact, we're too weak even to endure it. When we come here, Each Sunday, it is only by God's power that we can come and hear God's word. And if we did come on our own strength, well, we might come and sit in this room, but our hearts would would refuse to hear that word. Our minds would refuse to process that truth. We would doodle and whisper and daydream, desperate to escape the the living god who is confronting us with his truth and surrounding us by his presence because it would it would remind us that we are utterly undone before him think upon our children brought to him in weakness at their baptism how sweet and small and precious these little ones are they know nothing. They understand nothing of what is happening to them. They lack the ability to grasp the truth of that which is signified through the sacrament placed upon them. But folks, that same thing is true of every one of us. We are too weak to grasp it. We are too small to endure it. Left to our strength, we would melt with Daniel. Unable to comprehend, unable to face the reality of of the glory of the one who has called us. But Daniel's raised up, empowered with a touch. A touch that is not mild and unassuming. It doesn't come with a gentle whisper that's hard to discern. It doesn't merely strengthen Daniel a bit and allow him to do then his part. Though the touch which raises Daniel up from human weakness is a touch which arrives with divine authority, which is the second thing that we see here. Consider the sequence of events Daniel describes. He sees the Lord, yet his friends, they see nothing. That itself is telling, isn't it? We live in a culture where there are multitudes who see the evidence of God written on every atom and molecule of the creation around us. They don't see it. They don't perceive it. They're living in a book, every word of which points to their creator. And they're oblivious. Oh, it must have been an accident. Huh. And so they flee. They flee from church. They flee from the Bible. They flee from any solid, unchanging moral truth. Why? Because they don't want to recognize the reality that surrounds them. They don't want to acknowledge the reality that they're too weak to comprehend. Certainly too weak to stand before. Daniel's too weak too. Falls to his face, faints. But then the Lord reaches out a hand to touch him. And that touch restores Daniel to awareness. He rises from the ground, gets to his hands and knees, a posture of penance, of worship. And with that touch comes a command, understand the words that I speak to you. Stand before me, for I have been sent to you. And Daniel, knees shaking, obeys. But then the Lord speaks to Daniel, and as he speaks, his weakness returns. Again, Daniel has to be touched, this time on the lips, empowering him to speak, empowering him to confess his weakness. Lord, I can't stand on my own. I can't do what you call me to do. I can't respond the way you want me to respond. So again, he is touched. Strength is imparted. And with the strengthening comes the command. Be not afraid, but have peace. Be strong, take courage. And immediately the command is fulfilled in Daniel. He receives the strength and peace that is commanded of him. He is granted what he needs. By the power of the Lord. And so Daniel is able to respond. Speak Lord for your servant. You have strengthened. You see, Daniel was utterly incapable on his own to receive the revelation that the Lord brought to him. It is quite the revelation that Daniel's about to receive. Uh, Lord willing, next time, not next week, but two weeks from now, we'll see that this vision is, is lengthy and detailed and filled with curious things. But it's not the length or the complexity of the vision. For which Daniel needs God's strength. He needs God's strength because this is the word of God. And sinful man is incapable of receiving the word of God. It leaves him utterly undone. It leaves him crying out with Isaiah when he found himself in the throne room of God. I am a man of unclean lips, and I live in the midst of a man, of, of a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the glory of the Lord. Woe is me. We come here each week. Why? We come because it's expected of us. The elders have called us, sure, but more than that. We come to sing songs of praise. Offer up prayer together, sure, but it's more than that. We come to fellowship with God's people. Well, that's delightful, but it's more than that. Folks, we come here, we gather here each Lord's Day to hear the voice of the Lord. How shall they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear unless he is preached? The word of the Lord remains forever, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. says 1 Peter 1. When the word is preached rightly, the preaching comes to us as the word of Christ. It's not a lecture. It's not a set of opinions. It's not a pep talk. It is God's word. And it is to be received as such, instructing us, challenging us, changing us. Yet it cannot, if we cannot receive that word. And so just as with Daniel, God does with all who are greatly loved by him. He touches us. By means of his spirit, he touches us with divine authority. And he commands, stand up and fear not. Understand what has been revealed to you. Do not fear, but have peace. And be courageous. The Lord commands Daniel and then with the command, he enables Daniel to obey and he does the same thing to us. Hear the word of the Lord and respond. Do not fear the world around you. Do not fear the sin that rises up against you. Receive the strength that God will give you and then speak. Receive the strength that God will give you and then act. It's not by our power. It's not by our conviction. It's by the divinely authoritative, authoritative, the divinely powerful touch of Christ. And we're called to believe it. We're called to believe that when He commands us, He will empower us. We're called to believe that when He speaks to us, He will then enable us. To understand and to apply and to go forth in the power of that word to serve. In the power of us, we, we can't, we won't. Right? In the power of us as individuals. As stubborn as some of us are, we can't do it. We won't do it. But if God is empowering us, if Christ is, Is touching us with his divine authority. He will enable us to understand his word. And then to go forth in the power of his touch. And not just us. Not just me. We talked this morning of that promise. That he gives to all who are in his covenant. I will be your God and the God of your children after you. The promise is to you and to your children and to all those who are far off whom the Lord our God will call. To all of those to whom comes the promise. God draws them near. Christ speaks to them. Christ offers to raise them up, to strengthen them, to enable them. You know, as parents, that's really hard. Because we want to strengthen them. We want to empower them. We know, we think, what they should do, how they should respond, how they should act, what, what it should look like. Go ahead and try that. You will. And they won't. But when God empowers them, when God empowers our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, when Christ touches them, He does so not merely as a suggestion, not merely as godly counsel, but with the power of the One who created the world, with the power of the One who spoke and it was, with the power of the One who speaks to that which is dead and calls it into life. And He draws us near. There's one... One last point we need to see in this text, and it's a small point, but it's essential. This touch of the Lord was utterly and completely essential for Daniel. It was necessary for him to be raised up from his human weakness, it was necessary if he was to obey the Lord's command. But what we must see is that this touch responds to humble eagerness. That's our last point. Ask yourself why? Why did Jesus come to Daniel? Why did he give this insight to this Israelite? We find the answer in verse 12. Then he said to me, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard and I have come because of your word. He says, you fell to your knees in mourning, repenting of your sin and of the sin of Israel. You sought God's face, longing for restoration for yourself and for your kinsmen. When you embraced that humble act of falling before the Lord, pleading selflessly for God's glory and His people's good, your Heavenly Father heard. And in response to that humble, submissive prayer, Jesus came. His power was poured out. Note well what Daniel had done. Literally, the text says he gave his heart to understand and to submit before God's face. He sought understanding of God's will and he submitted to that will humbly. Put it together and you find Daniel simply expressing a deep, humble faith. Isn't that what faith does? It seeks to understand the will of God. It seeks to submit to the one whom we pray, to whom we pray. And this is what all of God's people are called to do. If you truly long to experience Christ's touch, if you truly long to experience His power to enlighten you and to transform you, There are not five easy steps to accomplish in order to bring it about. There is not a weekend conference with a world-renowned speaker who will bring it about. We kind of like those kind of things. It's the silver bullet effect. I write my check, I go to the conference, I do my thing. And, but that's not how the Lord works. If you long for his understanding, if you long for his power, if you long for his enabling, then you must do what Daniel did. You must humbly submit to him. You must fall to your knees in prayer. You must seek his favor. Making no demands. Not thinking to work a magical formula that obligates him to act, but simply humbly pleading for his help. Brothers and sisters, we are not powerful enough, wise enough, strong enough to know God's will or to do it on our own. Were we faced with the vision that Daniel confronted, we couldn't match even his strength or bravery. And yet, Daniel recorded his experience to enlighten us. Because he knew that like him, we are weak. Like him, we desperately need the touch and the power of Christ. And so we must eagerly desire the Lord's touch given through the Holy Spirit. The touch that raises us up and strengthens us. The touch that enlightens us to understand God's will and His purpose. The the touch that comes in response to our humble eagerness. We must plead in prayer daily that God would enlighten and empower us. For the smallest task, as well as the great ones. We must humbly plea and pray for God's touch upon those in our midst who are struggling, who are far too weak to face those crises. We must plead and pray for God's touch and His power for our children and our grandchildren, knowing that we, we can't lead them to do, we can't force them to, but God can empower and draw. And if we humbly, persistently plead for His help, Christ will come. His power will be applied. By divine authority, He will enable. And through us, weak though we are, God's work will be done. God's kingdom will come on earth, even as it is in heaven. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are weak. We know that. We're unable to rightly understand your word, to rightly interpret the experiences in our lives, to powerfully apply your commands in our situations. But where we are weak, you are strong. Where we are unable, you are perfectly able. And so, Father, we pray that you would bring us to our knees. That you would teach us to rely wholeheartedly and continuously upon you. We pray that you would enable us to experience the power of your presence. Interpreting your word to us, guiding us in the way that we should go encouraging us, strengthening us, empowering us. But most of all, Lord, we long for your presence. We long to know that it is not by our strength nor by our might, but by your power. And so we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. In Psalm 119, one of the prayers... God's people are encouraged to pray is the acknowledgement that we love God's word, we love his truth but we need his help to apply it in our lives we need his help to take it up as the instruction it was given to be so let's make that part of our prayer this evening as we sing together number 251 number 251 (laughs) Thank mm-hmm. you. this evening is for Reformed Youth Services. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this ministry of the churches by which our youth are strengthened, encouraged, and equipped. We pray that you would bless our offering to uh, build up and supply the needs of this ministry. And we pray, Father, that you would receive that which we give as a token of our gratitude to you, In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. Our offering song this evening is number 462. Number 462. Yeah!